Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. This is episode 109 of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Musgrave, and you can join me in this episode as I sit back with my good friend and co-host, Rye the Adventure Guy. And we're going to sit back and talk about a cup of joe. We're going to talk about how to make coffee in the woods, different tactics to get across there. You know, we're going to go through a full coffee talk, if you will. Beyond that, I sit down with Chris Gilmore from HuntForageGrow.com to talk about ways to prepare for the upcoming deer hunt while we're still dealing with the heat of summer. So, stay tuned. To know the landscape is to open up a door To feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before We know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft hey there dragonfly nation i wanted to announce a very big event happening in the summer of 2022 i want to give you this information now in the winter time so that you have time to prepare for this because this is a big deal the 2022 Global Bushcraft Symposium has been announced. It is going to be happening from July 27th to the 31st of July in the year 2022. It is being co-chaired by Lisa Fenton and Paul Kirtley, names that you should be well aware of, folks, especially if you're all into the bushcraft world. Speakers are including Dr. Teresa Camper, Bruce Zawalski, Gordon Dedman, ba- Patrick McGlinchey, and Rupert Brown. These are these and many others are why I'm excited. These are some of the greatest brains of today when it comes down to woodcraft, survival, indigenous ancestral skills, anything you can think of in the realm of bushcraft. It is happening at this event. And it's happening in Wales, United Kingdom in July 27th to the 31st in the year 2022. So pack your stuff up now, get it all ready, get your passport in order, get all the stuff you need in order, because this is going to be a very big event, very, very big event that I am excited to be going to with Rye the Adventure Guy. We may even record a few podcasts with some folks while we're there. Hope to see you there this coming summer from July 27th to July, uh, July 31st. If you want to learn more, go to www.globalbushcraftsymposium2022.com. Again, www dot global bushcraft symposium 2022.com hey there dragonfly nation this is canadian bushcraft podcasts hunt forage grow segment with chris gilmore and today we're gonna be talking with chris about summer deer prep you know it's we've we mentioned this whenever we talk about the hunter's journey in general but and in all of our hunting segments hunting is year round it's not just you go out during the week of deer season and you try to bag a deer it's you are always 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 thinking deer season you're always thinking hunting season and you're planning you're prepping what you got to do in the fall what you got to do in the winter what you got to do in the spring now we're in the summertime we're in the heat of july we're actually recording this during a heat wave at, uh, in mid uh, mid july and yet we're still having to think about deer what are we doing to prepare for the deer season and so with that in mind chris had the idea of actually putting this segment together to help you prepare now for what's going to be coming up in the fall so Without any further ado, Chris, what do we do to prep for this in the summertime for deer season? Yeah, well, first off, I just want to throw it out there that, you know, even if folks aren't hunting or aren't planning to hunt this season, uh, everything we're about to talk about, you could actually just apply to like getting to know deer a lot better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, they are absolutely fascinating creatures, the way that they move through the woods, 
Uh, the more I learn about them, the more I just think they're, they're such beautiful and brilliant beings. Mm -hmm. So you can be hunting deer with a camera or even with your own eyes and applying all of these tactics. And I guarantee if you do, your understanding of the brilliance of these animals and how they move through the landscape is going to expand um, in, in just mind-blowing ways. So, so if, even if you're not a hunter, uh, I think this is a great segment to tune in and think about totally. it through the lens of a photographer uh, or something of that nature, or even just a, as a naturalist. But yeah, let's, totally. we are going to chat hunting today. So the hunting season feels like it's quite a ways off right now. But that's actually the perfect time and why we want to be starting to think about deer season. So where I am, so I'm up on the edge of Algonquin Park um, in Ontario, Canada, uh, and it's zone 53A is our wildlife management unit. So our bow season opens up October 1st, and it basically goes October 1st to middle of December. And then there's a two-week rifle season in November. Mm -hmm. uh, folks are going to want to check the local regs. So really, October is still a few months away. But what's amazing, there's a couple things I want to share about hunting early season October and what you can be doing right now. So obviously this applies to bow hunters. If you're hunting rifle season, you've got no choice. You got to wait till those two weeks in November, wherever it is for your season. But what I really love about that really early season bow hunting season is, you know, after the first few days of gun season, the deer are all spooked. Uh, tons of them start to go nocturnal. If they're yeah. not going nocturnal because the their male are like full on in rut, they're being, they're aware, they're cautious, they're patterning in on hunting, they're hanging out in the densest brush. So that earliest part of October is this beautiful window where the deer aren't spooked up yet. So that's mm -hmm. one reason that that early bow season is so great. Two, not many people hunt that first like week of the bow season or the first couple of weeks, you know, so many hunters just haven't wrapped their head around it yet. And, you know, they don't start till a little bit later. So I find that beginning of the season, bow season, I'm the only person out in the woods a lot of the times in the places I hunt. So I absolutely love that. And what's kind of cool is like you're in this transition phase with their behavior. Uh, mm. We kind of call it like the pre-rut or the early rut. And it's going to change a little bit be depending on where you live and the time of year. Um, but come the rut and the rut is basically the, you know, the word that we use to describe when the female deer start to go in estrus and uh, the male deer get uh, really, really excited about mating uh, and their behavior changes drastically. Uh, mm. Deer, male deer will go like days without even eating during the rut. They need to drink water still, but like they'll go days without even eating. They fight. They mark their territory and they try and find does that are in heat. So it's a very different hunting strategy. But in that early rut, it's kind of interesting because they're still feeding. They're still stocking up. They might be starting to lay down some um, some ground scrapes or some antler rubs. Mm. Uh, they're starting to kind of scout out the other male deers and kind of who's around. But there's still a great opportunity to hunt um, feeding areas for them. Um so there's, there's this really great opportunity and their, their behavior might still be similar-ish to what you're seeing right now in the summer. Mm -hmm. Come later October, November, when we get into the rut, the, the male behavior is going to change completely. Um, but if you're tracking them in uh, July, August, September, um, come early October, depending on where you live, there's a good chance they might be behaving fairly similar mm -hmm. to what you can expect that time of year. So the scouting we're doing right now is actually quite relevant. Uh, now, the scouting I do at the end of the season, you know, in November, December, is the scouting that I'm going to use to figure out how I'm going to hunt in the rut, um, right. which is a totally different thing. And we'll we'll dive into that in other, other episodes. Totally. So those are the first kinds of things I start to think about is like this time of year, how can I make the most on tuning into their behavior um, and what they're actually up to? So where are the deer? Uh, when are they there? Uh, and how are they moving across the landscape? So those are three things. I want to get boots on the ground and I want to get out there and start tracking and just patterning in on how they're moving across the landscape 
when they're moving on across the landscape and why they're moving the way that they're doing. And we do that through our tracking skills and our naturalist skills. The other thing I'm going to pay a ton of attention to when I'm out in the woods right now is what are they going to be eating uh, a month or two from now? So I'm looking at the oak trees to see, okay, what kind of crop are the oaks going to have this year? You know, if we're going to have a big bumper oak crop, then probably early October, I'm going to be set up on the edge of the oak stand in between mm -hmm. the bedding area and those oak trees where they're coming in to feed. Uh, is there going to be a big apple crop? Do you live in an area with apples? Um, and if they're, the apple crop's a bust or the oak crop is going to be a bust this year, then I might need to switch out my strategy around a little bit. Right. Uh, if you're down in farm country, you know, you might want to be scouting out the fields around the area that you have the ability to hunt and say, okay, what, what's being planted right now? What's going to be ready in the fall time? What's just going to be soil? Like which of these fields are going to be the productive fields around my area? Okay. So actually paying attention when you're driving around to what the farmers are planting, where and when super, super helpful. And literally, you know, bringing a pair of binoculars and glassing those fields, starting to even see which deer are around, you know? And even if those farm fields are off of the property you have to hunt, um, figuring out, well, do the deer that are coming out and feed there cross the place that I'm in? Maybe they come to your property to bed, or mm. maybe it's a, a travel corridor between the bedding area and the feeding crop. So kind of mapping out that greater landscape and creating context to how the deer are moving across that landscape. And that's the part I said, even if you're not a hunter, like that kind of stuff is just fascinating to think about. It's fascinating to learn about and to get out there and put boots on the ground. So those are the, the first couple of things that come to mind. Uh, I got a couple other points, but anything you want to add to that, Caleb, or you want to jump in there? Totally. And I agree with everything you said so far. Look for those soybean fields, look for those corn fields and try to figure out this is the perfect time to go mapping because even though you bust your scent all over the place, they're going to forget about that scent three months from now. So this is the perfect time to be going out and you're not having to worry about destroying your game plan. You're not going to ruin it. You're not going to surprise that and they're not going to be around afterwards. They're going to come back after a few weeks. That's something you got to worry about during the hunting season. If you're scouting during the hunting season, you're definitely risking busting. But right now, no, not at all. This is something that this is the perfect time to get out on the ground and actually be out there digging around, looking around, figuring stuff out, tracking their trails, all that kind of stuff. Another thing I like to point out is during the summertime, this is the perfect time to A, be checking out where the fawn grounds are, because that's a really important aspect of their ecology around, you know, late May into June, a lot of the fawns from last year are being born. Some of them be, are being born even earlier in the season, but the majority are coming out between April, May, and June. And the spots where those does are going to want to have those babies are an important part of the ecology to understand everything. Where are these doe moving? So if you end up getting an antlerless tag and you want to bring in a doe, it's a good thing to be looking at is where are the doe giving birth and where are they keeping their fawns in the early part of the summer? By now, the fawns are a little, a little bit more active. You're probably seeing them crossing roads with their parents. You're probably seeing them hiding under an apple tree here and there in your yard or off on a property that you're hunting on. This is the stuff to be looking for is where those fawning grounds are. Beyond that, this is also, for me, the perfect time to start getting ready for the late season food plots. I'm a big fan of setting up food plots, whether it's a wild garden or growing proper plants like brassica. Uh, throughout the summertime, the majority of the feed they're going after is high protein, especially those bucks that want to grow antler. They're going to be going after high protein foods like clover. So if you're looking for an area, if you've got an area that you can try, drop some seed on to grow, all through the spring into the summer, it's clover. But now, right around, you know, late July, early August, this is the perfect time to start putting down brassica seeds, things like beets, rutabagas, even, you know, to an extent, broccoli and kale. 
and putting that into your food plots because those are not going to be really touched until frost but those plants are going to need to be fully developed before those those deer are going to be going after them so this is a great time now to get your late season food plot ready so that when the deer start moving they know that they've got a food source there and they're going to keep coming back to your food plot awesome just to, just to pick up on the like keeping the woods quiet and I, I was kind of starting on that point when I just started out about why the fact that we're a few months away is so perfect mm -hmm. so I mean if you're hunting highly pressured public land and you know public land where there's a lot of recreational activity going on year round this might not apply as much because the year are used or sorry the deer are used to dancing around people all the time but even in public land you know often people are doing recreational things on the trails you know they're biking they're hiking they're walking their dogs and the deer are off the trails and they know all those little dense spots come the hunt hunters are moving into those dense spots right uh, it's out of what we call baseline for the area. It's not the normal behavior of the humans. So the second that we as humans start to break the baseline, meaning we start tramping through those denser bush and moving around, we start to spook the deer. And uh, depending on the habitat, it can be, it can put them on edge for anywhere from uh, hours to days to weeks. Uh, and again, you know, in a really pressured area, spooking up the deer, you know, it might be putting them on edge for hours. Uh, in where I hunt, you know, in the eastern woodlands up here where there's actually not a lot of pressure and not a lot of people in the woods, uh, spooking deer, especially multiple times, uh, can potentially change their behavior for, for days, if not weeks, if not, you know, indefinitely. Mm. Um, and that's definitely something I've tracked up here. So I like to get out a lot in uh, August um, and get out there and tracking and moving through those bedding areas and finding those trails and actually going out and literally setting up. So if I'm going to go in and build a ground blind, or maybe I want to get up in a tree stand, and if you're on uh, private land where you're actually allowed to cut a few branches here and there to clear out sight lanes, I like to have all that work done by the end of August. Mm -hmm. So if I'm spooking deer in there, the month of September, the month before I start my bow season, I don't go into the hunting spots at all. I completely stay out of the woods for the entire month of September. That means I've gone in in August, I've got everything prepped up, I know what my strategy is for opening day and how I'm going to move through that woods, I know where I'm going to go, I know where I'm going to set up, and then I just let it rest for a month and let all the deer go back to baseline there. Um, so that that first day of October, um, you know, I'm really setting myself up for, for success there. Um, so that's something to be thinking about this time of year. 100%. Um, mm hmm trying to think there was one other point I really wanted oh yeah the other thing that I think is a really or two other things I'll leave with folks with for for today's session this was a piece of uh, advice that one of my mentors uh particularly one of my tracking mentors a guy Dan Gardoki he runs an organization called lead with nature uh mm -hmm. he, he has some really cool naturalist videos up on YouTube if you want to check them out check out lead with nature is his website and his YouTube channel but he said you know the other thing is when you go out in that early season like August or sorry the preseason he's like go out as though you're going to hunt now, don't bring a firearm with you. Don't bring your bow with you, but pack your backpack as if you're going out for the day. Wear maybe a lighter version of your camel clothes and move through the woods as if you're hunting. Because what's going to happen is you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're going to be walking through the woods and all of a sudden, like your tree sticks or your something's going to be clean. There's a little buckle and it hits your water bottle and makes a big ding, you know? And if you have not practiced ahead of time, imagine it's first day of the season. You've spent months prepping but you didn't actually go out and do a walk with your gear and you're stalking into your spot. And there's, you know, a beautiful buck or a beautiful doe uh, and they don't see you. The wind is perfect. 
and you're going to stalk into them. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden there's a little strap with a piece of metal on it and it slides over and it dings off the side of your water bottle <laughs> or it dings off of your crossbow or your bow or whatever it is. And bam, the deer's gone. Months of work is gone now, right? So if you actually go out with your gear as if you are going to hunt, oh, forgot to turn off my phone. Sorry. No worries, no worries. Uh, if you actually go out in, the, in August uh, as though you're actually hunting minus the firearm, with the actual gear, you have the ability to notice those little inefficiencies. What piece of my gear am I missing? What's too loud right now? Um, how do I want to just tweak my setup? And then also just thinking about like practice your deer strategy. Like, okay, if I want to go to this blind and the wind is blowing out of the Northwest today and the weather's like this, what is the best route to go to that blind? Or if I'm going to still hunt and just stalk across the landscape, you know, look, think about the wind and all those variables that you would hunting and go scouting, but do it as though you were hunting, trying to actually get up and see animals without them seeing you. And you're probably gonna make a bunch of mistakes and you're gonna spook deer up. Um, but you're learning from these mistakes when you have a buffer. Uh, mm -hmm. And now when you start opening day hunting season, you're already like, oh yeah, don't do that again. And don't do that again. And oh yeah, that was a bad idea going up here. I should have gone down there instead to get into that spot, right? So make your mistakes in the preseason so you make a lot less during the actual season. So I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, hunting advice right there totally i think it's great and there's a lot to be said about this time of year like there's a there's a famous saying from uh, ray mears that if we only go out camping in the summertime for our entire lives if we're lucky we get 80 years of our lives that means we only get 20 years of being in the landscape and you can kind of transition that over into being a hunter hunters are only going out for maybe a week, two weeks, maybe three, if you're really lucky, you're doing bow season or muzzle loader as well. This is a great opportunity to get more in tune with the landscape you're going to be hunting on so that you know all the trails, you know where all these places are. I know a lot of the people that come hunting with me, uh, they get turned around really easily on just like 70 acres of land. Whereas I'm hogging across, dogging and at certain times of year, we may do what's called a drive or a dogging where we push through. And I am the one that ends up having to dog every time because I'm the only one that knows the property well enough and intimately enough that I know I can sneak across this little inlet on the, on the bay of this marsh and I can get in through here without getting my feet wet. I can come through here. I know where all the beds are. I know where they like to travel. I am more intimate with that property than my partners. And that's a big uh, bonus for me, but it's a huge detriment for them because they have to basically just sit in this one spot and they have to kind of guess where everything's happening. You going out on the landscape in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, you're getting a full lifetime of knowledge hunting that property. And so there's a lot of benefits, even if you don't put down a food plot, even if you don't follow all of our other advice that we've been giving you in this segment, becoming more intimate with the landscape you're hunting on is going to give you that much more of an edge. Yeah, beautiful. Totally. So with that, um, is there anything else you want to say, Chris? Um, not so much, you know, the other thing that you could play around with, I, I totally agree with that, you know, just getting to know the landscape is going to work so much to your advantage. Um, there's also all kinds of fun other things you'll stumble across this time of year. So you're out prepping for deer season, you know, but, uh, reishi mushrooms yeah. are prime for harvesting right now. Uh, the chanterelles are just starting to pop up up here, you know, totally. uh, so there's foraging opportunities. There's getting to know the landscape. There's all the other wildlife you can see about. So many, many different options right now. You um, might even at the end of the summer might see a buck in velvet and you've never seen that before. Or uh, you've never maybe seen a doe with how many fawns she might have with her or a little group of does. You're going to see things that you wouldn't see in hunting season. So 
yeah, this is a great time to be out. Yeah, I've seen a buck with a velvet on their antlers still is such a beautiful experience. Oh, uh, I was so out magical. scouting. I'll share one quick story before we wrap out. But I was out scouting. Uh, it was in August. Uh, this is about four or five years ago. Um, and I was walking into the wind so that uh, nothing could smell me. And I was very much acting as though I was hunting, even though I didn't have my firearm. I was on this mm -hmm. property. I've hunted for years. Uh, and I saw two beautiful bucks off in the distance. The one was had this really long antler set that went almost straight up as opposed to wide. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, I think it was either, it was either a six or an eight point. I can't remember, but like a pretty tall antler set. And then there was a younger deer that was only like a four point that was with it. Uh, and we were early enough in the season that they were still traveling together. You know, yeah. give it another month or two, they're going to be splitting apart and uh, kind of going solo for that rut season we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was able to see them up ahead and I was upwind of them, uh, I, I just stopped and they walked right up to me, you know, like 20 feet away. No idea I was there. I just kneeled down by a stump. Um, and it was just this beautiful, magical experience to get to watch these two deer from super close. And I, oh, I can still picture the velvet on their antlers and how how beautiful it was, you know. So, you know, to wrap up, I think there's some some really good tips for folks there, you know, things to think about and, and why you might want to get out this time of year. Uh, the other thing I'll just throw up that's coming up in September is we're going to be reopening registration for our Hunter's Journey course and community. Yes. Uh, we've been making a lot of upgrades to it. Caleb and I have some really fun ideas. We're constantly evolving this experience and I'm just so excited about it. We're bringing in new instructors. So if you would like to get into hunting or maybe you're new to hunting, um, or you want to hunt, but have no idea how to even get started. Um, and you would like some mentors and a supportive community that, you know, shares similar values around ethics and stewardship and people that can kind of help you figure out how to make that a reality in your life. Uh, then I invite you to come and check out our, our course at thehuntersjourney.com. Right now, you can sign up for the waitlist. Registration isn't open, but we will be opening it up in September. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun this deep. So, uh, or sorry, this fall with it. Um, we're pretty excited about it. It is my favorite. I've taught a lot of courses over the years, and this is probably one of my absolute favorites. Uh, you can be a complete newcomer. You can be a complete, what some people might call a greenhorn, or this could be like your 10th year of hunting. You're still going to get something out of it. I, you know, I keep saying every time we talk about the hunter's journey, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old. I'm 33 going 34 now. And so I've got 22 years of experience, and yet I still gain knowledge from even this course as an instructor. And so this is something that's open to everybody. Check it out. Uh, uh, go to www.thehuntersjourney.com and check us all out over there. www.thehuntersjourney.com. Hey there, folks. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your hosts, Caleb Musgrave and Ryan Moffat. Ryan, the adventure. Ryan Moffat. <laughs> Who's Ryan Moffat? Only Nobody, person I. You always introduce me as Ryan, the adventure guy. So when people like, find me somewhere they're like who's ryan moffitt I, I gotta make that name too. build that name up gotta, gotta build both reps yeah gotta build both reps my christian name and my nishnabe <laughs> canadian bushcraft name <laughs> ride the adventure guy ride the adventure guy right we should just inter uh, introduce you from now on like a wrestler ride the adventure guy moffitt do I have to like run down a ramp with sparks around yes. me? And yes, you got to wear like the Macho Man sunglasses and just come in. Ooh, yeah. Like wearing a kimono or something. <laughs> yes, that's, I need, I need 1980s WWF energy <laughs> whenever we introduce you. So exactly. we're here tonight. We're, we're doing a, it's been a while since we did a tandem episode. I actually, no, we've only done a couple episodes apart. And so the last one was the derecho story. Yeah. 
And so it's good to be back together again. I always like doing episodes with you, man. So let's, you kind oh, of yeah. pitch an idea on a coffee episode. I'm like, dude, yes, let's, let's do this. And it's so we, I can make my WWE entrances, <laughs> just get jacked up on coffee. We can't take those other non-kosher substances. Mm-hmm. So we'll stick it's, to the hardcore coffee. It's not the eighties anymore. So we just got to use death wish coffee or something. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I think coffee is always a good one to go to because mm-hmm. it's such a big morale booster when you're camping, when you're out in the bush. It's the thing that makes everyone get out of bed in the morning and kind of put a jump in their step. Totally. There's those mornings where everyone's sluggish. They're wandering around looking like a bomb just dropped and they're in like shell shock afterwards. <laughs> they're like, oh, I don't know where anything is. I can't find my paddle. Where'd the canoe go? So I think coffee's always everyone's favorite thing, but sometimes people are like, where do I start? Like, I don't have my Keurig machine. Mm-hmm. I don't have my $10,000 Italian espresso countertop t- model. Where, where's Timmy's? Yeah. I That's think always there's... the joke is like, where's the closest Timmy's and is it in paddle distance? <laughs> there's... There's a lot of levels of why coffee is such a boon. Like you could have, you could be making tea in the morning and not everybody has that same response or reaction to like the tea brewing. Maybe if they're British mm-hmm. or from India or China, or they come from certain families and cultures, but I think it's partly the aromatic of the coffee. You can That's smell a- it in your tent. I was about to say that just the aromas that you get from a rich roast, mm-hmm. just, no matter how you're making it, it just wafts and all of a sudden you're like, I'm up. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And it helps everyone just get along with their day a little faster and get start off the day on a right foot. So some mornings it feels like that cartoon, like vapor that comes from the coffee and like beckons you with a finger and you start floating behind it. Like sell like Sylvester (laughs) Tweedy. It's just, it's some mornings, like you you have a rough night. That coffee is what makes you willing to do anything the next day. And even if you had a good night, like that coffee, is a good way to just sit back quietly, even if you're out on your own, making a little cup of coffee by the fire, then sitting out by the lake, watching the mist on the on the early morning sunrise. It's good. That's it's a, good stuff. That's the thing. It's part of the whole morning routine of just mm. getting up, making yourself a cup of coffee, sitting, maybe make a small fire for yourself, and it's like a little reflective moment, a little way to start your day, or sitting with your coffee on the bank of a lake and you see a little beaver float by and Mm. just enjoying taking it in it's kind of meditative in that sense just a moment shut everything off before you get started with your day at the moment that coffee's gone then get to it take down your tent or if you're just base camping you're bushcrafting somewhere then get on and start building with stuff so there's a there's a lot of moments i've had with coffee being like i was not a coffee drinker growing up until i became like an outfitter and a guide that's Mm -hmm. that's really when it became like that's your juice in the morning it gets you going but also it gives you these like moments to process and get things ready whether you're using a little cook stove or a big open fire or something in between it's it's a simple way to just make the day a kind of like an early morning ritual kind of thing even at home everybody drinks coffee for a reason i I talked about this on the survival gardening episode we're talking about irrigation like that as your coffee's brewing, you can be getting other things done and organizing your day and preparing yourself. Yeah. It's uh it's really 
well, you look at like the Chinese culture with like tea ceremony, in a lot of ways, coffee can be that for an outdoors folk. Very, very mm-hmm. easily. That's your time of meditation and contemplation before the day. You're going over your maps of where you're going to go, which portage we taking next. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't, oh. I didn't start drinking until I was in my late teens, I would say. So I worked right at a camp in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. So we were working 12-hour days, yep. making breakfast, lunch, snacks, and dinner for the kids and everything. So we just go hard, like 12 hours a day, six days a week sort of thing, got one day off in between. So coffee became my whole new savior. I, I didn't like it growing up, A, because my grandparent, my at least on my dad's side, my grandparents there and my dad pretty much drink nothing but instant coffee right so it's just not the same and when you have your first like fresh cup of drip coffee mm-hmm. and you're all of a sudden hooked you're like okay and i've had a few more revelations like that throughout my life but we'll we'll save the stories for when we talk about the methods and locations totally, totally. and everything like that and so that's it gets to like everybody I'd say at a, at a conservative level, 60% of people out there are coffee drinkers to one degree or another, somewhere around 50%, if not more. But like you're saying, we're used to our Keurigs. We're used to like our little coffee French press at home where you just boil a pot of water and put the coffee grinds in. Most of us get instant, not necessarily instant coffee, but like pre-ground coffee. So we don't even know like the grinding methods and everything else. Yeah. And so when we get to this point of like, okay, I'm going to go camping, I'm going to bring coffee with me. Now what? What, what? what am I doing? This is mm-hmm. so confusing. Oh, God damn, why didn't I just bring a bunch of instant coffee? Why don't I just fill a thermos with Timmy's on the way here? And it gets mm-hmm. frustrating for people. So I think this is a good episode. Just, it'll be a short one if I shut up. Uh, but it, it'll be a good, simple <laughs> breakdown for a lot of people, like how to do things in a, in a few different ways. There's not just one way to do it. There's more than one way to skin a fox. So, Yeah, I think when people especially when you first start tripping and backpacking and you're like oh doing that mental math of like what can i afford to bring and what should i leave behind coffee's a bit of a luxury so Mm -hmm. half the time you're like i can leave i can go five days without coffee or anything like that and then the first morning after you're waking up in your tent you're like i wish i had coffee right now and there's even like, there's a mental level to that. But there's also physiological, like because caffeine is a stimulant that we're so used to. Yeah. You, you go through a caffeine withdrawal. It can be like debilitating. Mm-hmm. And I know people that have gone out and they did that. Oh, it's just a five day trip. I can survive without coffee for that long. And by day three, they're like hobbled with a migraine and it turns out it's caffeine withdrawal. Yeah. And so it's, it, if it's something that you require on a or not necessarily require but something you consume on a regular basis it may be a luxury but at the same time that's something that you should consider for your kit even if you don't drink coffee by the gallon Mm -hmm. like a lot of us do it can be a bit of a placebo effect going without it all of a sudden just Mm -hmm. if you have that one cup and only one cup a day it's still shaking up that morning routine that you normally have so you might feel a little bit off still totally so it's important it's important to know it's important to know how to make it it's important to know how to carry it um and there's a lot of ways to do that you could carry pre-ground uh one of my favorite experiences when we did the very last brothers of bushcraft get together the last bob thing was about 2015 
Norseman came out, Dave Williams, a uh, buddy of ours, and he had a leather coffee pouch and in there he had whole bean coffee. And I was like, okay, well, I guess he must have like a little grinder or something with him to, to mix it up. And what he did was he, because he's a blacksmith and a bladesmith, he had made himself a stump anvil, which is a little tiny piece of railroad track that has a spike ground into it that you just put into okay. a stump. And then anywhere you are, you can fix a tool or whatever. And he okay. used it as like a pestle inside the bag. And he would go to the stump that we use as a chopping block inside of the teepee and just mortar and pestle it in the bag and have this like really coarse ground coffee that I was like, that's really nasty looking. But because it was so big, it would all sink to the bottom in your cup and you didn't have to worry about the grinds getting in your teeth as you sipped. It was actually some of the yeah. nicest coffee I ever had in the woods. Mm -hmm. So there's like so many ways to be ingenious. You don't have to bring a big grinder, a big mechanical grinder or hand crank grinder just to make do and be like uh, Kevin. Uh, oh, heck, what's his name? <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Judd Dunbar in Dance with Wolves with his coffee grinder trying to impress the Lakota Nation, <laughs> the giant box on there. I cannot remember the name of that poor man who's in that film. Kevin Costner. Costner. I kept wanting to say <laughs> other names like it's not Kevin Sorbo, it's not Kevin James, it's not Kevin Smith. <laughs> he was Kevin just in Costner. Canada for the Stampedes. So I heard that. I heard yeah. that. I think Topical. he was like a Grand Marshal or something like that for the Calgary Stampedes. So very cool i heard about that on the wire so yeah there's a lot of ways to go about it and of course like the first answer that most people have is it's instant coffee yeah. you bring you bring a bag of instant coffee gino used to do that quite a bit when i was on course with him he would have a ziploc bag of instant coffee pre-mixed with his uh uh cream uh, his his powder creamer yeah and so he would have it already pre-mixed and just take a spoonful and throw it into a pot of boil or a cup of boiling water and there was his coffee for the day Mm -hmm. which it, it seemed really practical and seemed really efficient. And then I started drinking instant coffee and I had that same reaction you had with your grandparents of like, yeah. this is nasty. Mm -hmm. This is not what I like. It's bitter. It doesn't quite have that bold full body flavor yeah. that a fresh ground coffee has. Totally. Because especially too, like you said, with whole beans and bringing those, they do make little handhold, like almost like pepper mill, pepper mm -hmm. grinder style for grinding beans and the fresh the closer to consumption that you grind it the fresher it'll be yeah the aromatics <clears throat> it's it's really those aromatics that help with the flavor and everything else otherwise you're just drinking bitter beans as soon as you grind it and expose all that new surface area to oxygen then it'll just start to degrade soon mm -hmm. so the fresher you can if you can figure out a way to get it but at the same time, sometimes the difference is ne negligible. You're yeah. just kind of happy to have coffee on a trip. Like with instant coffee, they make the little single serving satchels. Mm -hmm. They can get the first one I found when I was going to do a tomogamy trip a few years back. They had the Nescafe, mm -hmm. like sweet and creamy. So I think it had a sweetener in there. It yeah. had the creamer in there and the instant coffee. So that's a really easy thing because it's all self-contained. It's in a little one single serving packet. Mm -hmm. So it's not something you have to really worry about making a mess, carrying around a big container, anything like that. And like even I know people who swear by the Starbucks kind and they yeah. have all a, a different variety of flavors and medium roast, dark roast, mm -hmm. everything like that. So I've heard I have one that I kind of carry around as my emergency one and I've carried it for like two years and I still haven't made it. I brought it to your 
place quite a few times right and just haven't got around to like checking out what all the fuss is i'm not even sure if it's good anymore <laughs> so one thing i've done in the past which i really and i haven't been able to test it thoroughly to confirm what i because it could just be in my brain that i did the smart thing and therefore it must work mm-hmm. was uh i would pre-grind because for, uh, for like hunt camps we bring a big percolator that we put on the wood stove and it's like a i don't know <clears throat> just under a gallon percolate the one that i have in the house the, that yeah. big coleman one that i use all the time um and it holds about two cups of ground coffee and so what i did was i made vacuum bags of what i ground right there and immediately vacuum sealed them to try and keep those aromatics alive and everything else and it seems to work yeah. but i might just be imagining that and tricking myself because it's been like three weeks later or a month later or three years later or what have you Oh no! Like if you can vacuum seal it and pump all that oxygen mm-hmm. away, then you're not going to really get that degradation that you would. And that's what I think. In an open air jar where air can seep in and it touches yeah. everything, so yeah. because they even sell just like containers for vacuum packs where you just press the button, you put the lid down, and it pumps out the air, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So that's another way you can either vacuum seal in a bag, which is probably the more space convenient. Right. depending on the volume if you're like taking a big 10 12 person group out or something mm-hmm. like that then you might have to take a big jug of it sort of thing right right whereas if you want a couple people just a little vacuum sealed or even a small group sort of thing mm-hmm. so yeah i just made a bunch of them in uh i would just dole out two cups of ground coffee grind it or uh, coffee beans grind them pour them right in the vacuum bag seal it yeah. And that, that way we just, every morning you snip one corner, pour all the bean into the percolator cage and just go. And it seemed to work. I've always found it pretty good, but I, I like I said, like, I don't know if it's a hundred percent effective because I'm tasting it and I can be completely biased because it's my experiment. What's well, how people do it at home and everything. So it is mm-hmm. proven and tested by many people. So it's not quite individual problem or or something that you think oh maybe i'm just fooling myself because i did it sort of thing Mm -hmm. but it was funny because like you can use ziploc bags and stuff too but it'll go pretty quick they're permeable yeah not everything's gonna stay in there like when we were at the bushcraft symposium back in 2019 i my uh ticket my raffle i won a tough possum little packing cube or bag or something like that and inside was a big ziploc freezer bag full of the coffee from whatever sponsor was there at the time and i was like well i'm here for four days and i've also got to drive to vancouver island and go on a five six day canoe trip Mm -hmm. in the broken group and it won't be like three weeks till i'm home sort of thing so right I think I've taken a little bit of coffee from that, but it's still a pretty full freezer bag full of coffee sort of thing. This is like, oh, this is great to have, but I'm not really going to be using that much. Yep. <laughs> this is a lot of, there's a lot of ways to bring coffee. Like we said, there's bring a grinder and bring whole bean. You can pre-grind or you can get the instant coffee mix. There's even companies. Uh, if you go to the Chinese grocery stores, you'll find like a, uh, three-in-one milk tea but there's also three-in-one milk coffees Mm -hmm. and they're just like a little satchel that has coffee bean ground up in it in a vacuum bag little mylar bag that has creamer and sweetener i think it's a sugar cane of some sort you just dip it and just kind of bob it in i used to drink what was called um 
mud coffee that was their version back in the early 2000s of like pre-ground in a in a tea bag kind of thing and it tasted fine but back then I wasn't much of a coffee drinker so I wasn't really sure what it was supposed to taste like and I haven't found that brand ever since the closest I've come across is that mud water that you're seeing all over every ad in the world now telling you to stop drinking coffee and drink mud that's got uh, water that's got clay in it cool just drink chaga every single day <laughs> and get every, yourself sick every meal have more chaga <laughs> just chaga in everything it'll make you float above the ground it'll make you invincible this is this is ryan trying to agitate me <laughs> bears cannot even hurt you while you drink tons of chaga so those, those damn cancer bears jot that note down <laughs> the chaga will set you free uh, i missed but. recording with you just trolling. <laughs> but okay what's our next method we've got past the easy stuff yeah there's the there's your ways of bringing it with you let's talk about ways of using it out there so there's a lot of different like i'll i'll call them vessels ways of like using and brewing uh i think the most well-known way that you've heard me talk about already that I use at a lot of base camps is percolators. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because my grandfather and my grandmother always used a percolator for their coffee. And like a lot of bush folk, you go up north to a lot of the old hunt camps and stuff, there's a percolator always sitting on the wood stove. And so that's just like a standby that's just common and dependable. And it's something that I've always liked. I don't like the cheap aluminum ones that you see a lot at like camping stores. Yes, they're lighter. These things are going to get the crap beaten out of them. If they, if this is your like base camp and going camping, car camping, hunt, hunt camp camping, that percolator is going to get the crap beaten out of it. It's going to get, and if it's aluminum, eventually something's going to break. Eventually something's going to give. I'm not really a fan of aluminum cookware in general. So I mm -hmm. tend to stay away from all the aluminum, especially like anodized aluminum mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So talk about health effects of it or totally. everything like that and boiling and all that stuff so i'm i'm very much a stainless steel type guy like you said the mm -hmm. the percolator is a very classic staple of everyone all the pilgrims and stuff or what's it called the pioneers, pioneers and stuff like that was the word <laughs> like donner party kind of stuff and i'm having a percolator <laughs> and just a pot of coffee ready to go and i think so. it's a I think it's a dependable one as well because you can just take the cage out and now you have a large pot that exactly. you can boil water in. So, oh, we ran out of coffee, but there's Labrador tea in the swamp beside us. Okay, well, yeah. we'll just take the cage out and boil a big pot of tea. Yeah. That's, it's, a, that, it, it's a dependable machine. That was always my thought too, is just having that around. You have a kettle, you have a percolator, you have a pot for boiling any water that you need. Myself, I've just got my little two cup like for one or two people sort of mm -hmm. thing that I have little stainless steel one. So it packs down nice, goes into its own little sleeve mm -hmm. and it goes into my food barrel or my backpack really nicely. Yep. So I had, I had a two, I think it was a three or like two and a half cup that I would take on like backcountry hunt trips with my buddies. And we would have mm -hmm. like exactly enough coffee for each of us. And then the stove that I would boil the cup of the coffee over fit inside of that kettle almost perfectly yeah. even with the cage and everything else it would actually slide in and fit so i was like this is the perfect like contained system and then it uh, clearly after like two years of using it telling everybody get one of these it broke yeah it's like okay 
don't buy one of these. This thing broke. So yours, uh, your little stainless one, I much prefer. Mine was aluminum. And I've seen you rock that little one before. It's pretty nice. I think the one thing, though, with it is that it can only really work on camp stoves. Yeah. Just because of its base size, it can't really balance on anything else. Even the big Coleman two-burner stoves for car camping. Mm-hmm. it's a little difficult to find the sweet spot and there's like a little handle and some of them come with plastic or even some are wood so you don't want to burn your wooden handle or your plastic yeah. handle so it does have its limitations and if i can i like to stay away from percolated coffee because one of my other points of the podcast would be boiling does change the flavor of coffee yeah. Like the typical temperature you want to be is just below boiling about 90 to 96 degrees Celsius or 195 to 205 Fahrenheit. Because Look at you with you, all these fancy numbers and stuff. All the numbers, all the scientific stuff. Yeah. So that tends to make coffee a little more bitter. Mm. So that's what I typically, I bring my water to a boil. If I'm out camping, I'll filter the water first too, because I don't want to just have murky lake water yep. pouring off the taste as well. So filter that safety, even if you boil it, it's still going to have the taste in it. So filter will take out any of those particles that you mm-hmm. don't want added to your coffee. So yeah, that's why I'm more of like a pour over or a French press type of guy. Yeah, yeah. But the percolator, it's it's classic, easy one. It's low maintenance as well. Mm-hmm. You just fill up your basket, a tablespoon per cup sort of thing, mm-hmm. and then let it go. Just let it simmer, let it boil. Most of the group camping trips I've been on that's had coffee or percolators. And then you have that little plastic or glass cap on top that lets you like view as the water boils along that bottom plate. It travels up that spout on top and then showers, yeah. showers over top of the basket and lets it go down. So that's how it works. So at least that way, the typical rule of thumb, once you start seeing it bubble up through there, five to 10 minutes at most sort of thing. But at least you can tell by the color of it. Okay, it's getting that nice chocolatey brown color that I like now. So yeah. I usually take, take off. I usually take it off just as I start to really smell it. Yeah, that's when I like to like take it off because I don't like uh, a. I'm never looking at a watch or t- at a clock at the right time, and I forget what time I set it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I like to watch it, just smell it. When I can smell the coffee, when I'm over by like the wood pile ten feet away, oh, it's ready. Pull it off. And one other thing I would mention to folks, what Ryan was talking about, like how hard it is to find a, a spot to put those small percolators, even the big percolators, you can drill two holes just below where the lid snugs on and string through. I've seen a lot of folks do this where they just put some bailing wire through that. And now you got a bale to hang over on a tripod. Yeah. And that can make it a little bit easier. And if you have the choice on your percolator, go for the glass globe, not the plastic globe, because at some point you're not going to be paying attention and that flame of your fire is going to come up and melt that. Yeah, exactly. Get the plug, get the glass ones. They might get scorched, but they're not going to melt on you and, you know, infuse petrochemicals into your coffee from then on out. Mm-hmm. But beyond percolators, there's a lot of other ways we can go. Uh, you're talking about pour over and drips and everything else like that. Let's, let's get into that. Just bring like a, bo- so just a, a kettle of boiling water, and then you have something beside it to pour into. I think that's one of the even simpler methods 
you just have your little kettle going on the fire. You don't have to mm-hmm. worry about once it just starts whistling or boiling or whatever you like, and it's ready to go. And then there's ones that even are just little single serve ones that clip onto the edge of whatever your camp mug mm. or travel mug is. So there's like the GSI. I can't remember if it's the Java Drip or something like that. I think that's the name of it. Yeah. I have that. That has just like a micro mesh plastic. It doesn't really give any taste to it. It may be plastic, but it doesn't really give much of taste. So you just do that, put a scoop or two of coffee in that, put it on top of your mug, and then you just slowly pour over. You don't want to go too fast because you want it to do it more like a drip rather than just a pour done right through. Mm-hmm. You want it to be able to get through slowly, steep its way through and do that. So yeah. I find that's a pretty easy way. Once I saw one of my friends on a trip bring that, and I was like, I am getting one of those. <laughs> that is nice and easy. They The arms fold down so you can pack that away like it's nothing. It takes up like barely a few inches of space sort of mm-hmm. thing. It's a little flimsy. It could break, but at the same time, if you take care of your stuff, then yeah, there's a an issue. There's an MSR one that I've had for years and it's in the kitchen. I use it all the time in the kitchen, even it's just a pour over style for coffee. If I just want like one cup for today. Yeah. Uh, I only really make the percolator when you're up because I want to make sure that you and I and M <laughs> and anybody else is going to have caffeine. If it's just me, I only drink like maybe one or two cups of coffee a day. Yeah. And uh, it's great because it's a little thing that's just nestles into your camp mug. It's a tall stainless steel mesh. It's really fine mesh mm-hmm. uh, with a plastic uh, rim that rests onto your coffee cup or your travel mug or whatever it may be. And then you've got a little lid and I really dig that lid because I can set that down upside down. And then when I'm done dripping my coffee through, I can just set that on and not get dirt all over that mesh because it's already a pain in the ass to get the coffee grind out of that mesh every day. Yeah. Now I got to get mud out of there <laughs> and mm-hmm. bugs and twigs and everything else. So having yeah. that little lid, I think it's like a really nice little addition there. I saw your, it was a GSI Java drip. Is that what you have? I think that's what I call the Java drip. Cause I've seen you use like, Oh, that's a nifty one. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with your coffee grinds afterwards, you can just toss them in the fire or the edge of the fire back into your gray water or what have you. It's not the worst pollutant to have out there in the environment. So it's something you can easily deal with afterwards mm-hmm. or you can bag it all up and bring it home. Like you should with leave no trace and then using your garden to grow things. But, uh, yeah, coffee grind. There's other options I've seen. Like people literally just bring the classic over the mug, like Mel Melmac material coffee drippers that they put an actual coffee filter into. Yeah, I like that because it's what like a lot of my elders use, but it's bulky. Yeah, it's it takes up a lot of space, and especially if it's made of plastics, mm-hmm. it'll be a little more fragile. It doesn't fold down like the other ones do. So. Mm-hmm in the space of things and it gets jostled around in your pack or something, it could chip one side or have a crack on the other. So I do have one of those or some stuff. I lean more towards car camping where I don't have to worry about transporting it as much. Yeah. So yeah, I do have one of those plastic funnel ones that sit on top of a mug or a pitcher or something like that. Mm -hmm. You put the filter in and it's good to go. And that's the other like downside to that style is now you have this filter you got to deal with and they're not always a hundred percent cotton or hundred percent paper. Sometimes they've got some microfiber in there. That's plastic. You throw it in the, in the fire. You're, 
you're, it's just like throwing candy wrappers and stuff in the fire. You're, you're adding to pollutants into the, in the soil, into the atmosphere. I think that it comes down to the consumer responsibility too, totally. because they do have like the unbleached hundred percent cotton ones, ones and everything yeah. like that. Ones that are just recycled paper, unbleached, they're brown in color. Mm-hmm. My tip for always using a filter is to pre-wet it first. Yes. It helps if it has any residual taste in it itself, that's going to affect the flavor of the coffee. So I've done that even too with my AeroPress, which we're, we'll talk about in a second mm-hmm. with French presses. So that's something I always do is just splash a little water, get a little wet. It'll help the coffee immediately permeate. It'll take any other flavors out of there that you don't want there so 100 there's yeah and another benefit of the the pre-wetting is it lets the filter actually do its job properly because yeah. sometimes you'll just get like when you pour your coffee and then you pour the water in like the bottom edge gets wet and then it just all tries to go through there and sometimes it'll split because yeah. that's the only spot that there's any pressure release so when you pre-wet it makes the filter actually do its job better everything can actually flow through and do its job well exactly yeah so that's always my style at least little little tips and tricks Heck yeah. but yeah that's nice and simple you just put your coffee in it pour water over it goes in your cup you're good to go you don't have to worry about percolating and waiting for it to boil the right amount of time or anything like that so Great it's a nice luck. easy one to have but my personal favorite is probably the french press and that's my least favorite. Really? We've had, we've had this talk about a year ago. I, uh, I had two really bad burns making coffee and both times it was French press. The one I put literally the, like the, the joke about Obi-Wan Kenobi when there, there was this like years back, like how different Star Wars characters would drink their coffee. And the one was like Obi-Wan with a French press with just the weight of his finger pushing down. Mm-hmm. And that's like what everybody tells you, just put a little bit of pressure on. You don't want to shove down. You don't want to drive it down on the plunger. And so I would always follow that. Even then I had coffee come spraying out and scald me right on the forearm. That's where that one scar on my arm came from. Mm-hmm. It literally took skin off my arm from how hot the water was jetting out of there. And then the second time the coffee, because it was a French press, I was glass. Um, I don't know if it got overheated or if it like a cold breeze hit it or something, but the whole thing exploded and cut me up pretty good. I have never witnessed any of that before. (laughs) My first time hearing about certain situations like this, because I do it at home with my glass one. Mm -hmm. I've got the big tall one. They make stainless steel ones as well that are better for camping and the plastic ones like the AeroPress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I like to take it between two fingers on the plunger and then make sure I'm giving even pressure and it's not just tilting to the side, making yeah. sure I'm going straight down, yeah. but nice and slow, making sure the filter on it is cleared. So maybe that's why it's building up too much pressure. But yeah, my, my general way is getting the coffee to boiling, wait about 30 seconds. While, while the water was boiling, I would put however many scoops of coffee in there and then take the plungers obviously out. You pour it over. I like to like make sure it's nicely saturating all the coffee. Maybe it's an OCD sort of thing to do. <laughs> make sure you cover that so it's kind of pouring through and dripping through already. And then, yeah, fill it up. Not too close to the top. You want to leave some space. You don't want to just have it ready yeah. to overflow. And then, yeah, put the plunger in and 
when you're letting it steep, you just put it down so it's touching the water line mm -hmm. and let it sit for about five minutes, give or take how strong you like your coffee. And then nice and slow all the way through. And I find that I've got my best results using the French press at home. Mm -hmm. Typically, I, I kind of load it up and give it a little extra coffee just to let it steep a little more and have a little sure. bolder flavor. But I've had it where it kind of feels like it was almost microcarbonated. It was so smooth and mm. everything like that. So yeah, typically at home, it's with just a standard glass one. Nice and easy. Emily, when so. she first, when Emily first moved in at the beginning of the pandemic, um, she bought an AeroPress. And I was like, don't bring these stupid things into my house. Because I had seen like, I had had so many yuppie buddies that had those AeroPresses. And it was like, okay, it's a French press, but even more, like it's just extra on a French press. And like, I have my bias towards French presses. We get that. I'm not going to argue it. Um, but I find myself using it now. And I kind of like feel like I was this hypocrite for years. Mm -hmm. talking smack with the french press but now i'm using an arrow press which is even fancier extra french yeah, press the arrow press was one of my first coffee like investments for mm. camping and everything like that i'd heard things about the arrow press it's like okay hell yeah it's just a tiny little everything kind of packs into itself depending where you get it, it'll come with a little pouch that everything goes in scoop mm -hmm. filters, everything. So it's nicely small and contained, but at the same time, I think that's a bit of a drawback with it is like, even for one person, you fill it up all the way. It's still more like a medium sized cup of coffee. Yep. Whereas both you and I like to have our big, large mugs ready to go mm -hmm. and just drink half a liter to a liter of coffee <laughs> sitting sort of thing it's it's like when when ryan and i are on the road and we get to a timmy's or wherever a coffee time or country style and they're like what size of coffee and we're like you damn well know what size <laughs> you know what we're gonna we're not gonna get a small yeah we, we and that's i think my biggest complaint about that aeropress system is like you you pour your coffee in you pour your water in you give the time allowance you put the plunger in and shove down lift up your aeropress and go but where's all the coffee Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like maybe two inches in your mug it's like that it feels it feels like you got to do it again and again and again just to get a full cup it's a little shakier too because yeah. it's like a bottom loader so you like don't take the plunger out like you would a normal one so you just pull it all the way back and then you kind of bounce it on the plunger you put your coffee in there you pour the water in and then you screw in the filter cap with the filter in it on top and let it sit and do its thing. And then it's once you're ready to go, you're flipping it over, <laughs> trying to right on top of the coffee mug sort of yep. thing, ready to go. So it takes a little more finesse, a little mm -hmm. more gymnastics with it, a little there's everything. So I, there's a little more that could go wrong if you don't have a flat surface yeah. to balance it on to start. I always feel like I'm going to fling the molten coffee at you if I'm using it at the, like the dinner table or at the at the camp table. I, think that's I feel like I'm just going to go throw the water at you. That's at least the good part with this, like it screws in and mm -hmm. has an audible kind of a click to it once you get the filter cap in there and it all stays together. Sometimes I'm worried about the plunger going on an angle and releasing, mm -hmm. making a little gap or something like that. So yeah. yeah. 
it just takes a little finesse. And if you don't have like a flat log top, like Surface a, a cut round sort. of a log or something to kind of rest it on, then it can be a little more shaky than the yeah. other methods. Yet another reason to take a wand again or a food barrel, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Or go somewhere where you know there's going to be some nice flat surfaces. So the tables and such. Yeah. So although at the end, I think they've made even like a smaller version of it that comes really? in its own little carrying plastic case. I think that doubles maybe as a mug. I haven't tested it out yet, hmm. but I was looking into it because like, okay, yeah, because the job, the, the AeroPress goes, retails for about 40 to 50 dollars depending on where you buy it yeah and this one was like 30 something so maybe it's something mm. i'll i'll give a buy just to kind of test it out because it packs down smaller it has everything ready to go sort of thing so totally. it's something i'll keep my eye on for that sort of thing because yeah it's a nice easily self-contained system but it's not great for groups with how much you have to do sort of thing. That was but. my first experience with an arrow press. We, I was working with uh, the wild deer program for pine project. Yeah. And there was like 12 of us each, every 10, every five to 10 minutes, getting a cup of coffee. And I was like, this is the most inefficient. Yeah. Like even with like, at least with a large French press, two or three of us would get coffee before the next group got some coffee. That's why I've spent way too much money outfitting myself like an outfitter. I have gear for every occasion. I have six or seven different tents for every occasion, plus hammocks, plus everything. And it goes the same for coffee. I have the GSI Java drip. I have an AeroPress. I have the small, I think it's a GSI as well. Percolator, stainless steel. But also to the jet boil, it also Definitely. has the French press attachment. So you can buy the plunger mm -hmm. separately that will work with your jet boil pot sort of thing. So I almost forgot about that one. I had it written down here and everything. I was like, I, oh, yeah. I had a Stanley one. And that was the one that got me really bad with the skull that came up and took the skin off my arm. Okay. Um, yeah. It was a Stanley thermos that came with a pot that you would boil your water in and then you would pour your coffee in after you take it off and it had a little handle that came out like a little um that, that you melted the plastic on the inside yes 100 percent. okay because I, I cleaned that up and it's downstairs right now so <laughs> i guess i'll throw her in a fire somewhere it was going to be my treat because i found it in the backyard it was, still had like coffee in it yeah it i it, i literally threw it out of my window when it burned <laughs> me i was like f you and i chucked it out of the bathroom window into the shed and never yeah. looked at it again. And that's where I found it. And I yeah. cleaned it all up and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so. Keep it. Keep that cursed object. You can have that cursed object. And it burned me. And the whole idea, like it was this whole container. Like, and then you have the thermos to pour all that coffee. And it came with a French press thing and everything else. The yeah. French press thing that was weird was there was a cage plasticky thing that connected between the thermos and the, and the pot. And then you push down on it. And I was pushing down and it went right up the funnel or the spout yeah. and got me right in the what is that two or three inches from my wrist yeah and it just burned and i had to go to work and i had to go while i was at work this giant blister was forming that was like an inch and a half tall while students are watching me lecture it's getting higher and higher as we're going and finally i was like okay class is done and i just ran to our medic station at the at the college and was like can you do something for this and like this is a wsib thing I'm like i did it before i came to work i need this dealt with here though 
and they were like trying to get me to go to the doctor and stuff instead of going to them. It's like, just put gauze or something on it, please. It hurts like a son of a gun. While I was scrubbing it out, I was questioning its design because, yeah, it's kind of like a basket style. Yeah. It doesn't have that rubber O-ring around it nope. that perfectly seals it. And it's just the base of the plunger. That's the filter with that little ring, the spring coil around it. <coughs> thing. Yep. So I was thinking it the whole time. But now that you say this, it makes much more sense. So I and think I like should sue Stanley. <laughs> so... On record, Ryan thinks I should sue Stanley. Yeah. We're never going to get them as sponsors. Now. <laughs> um, and then like three months later, I was like, I bought a French press. Like, okay, I'm going to give this a second chance. And it was like the proper like glass was like, okay. The two fingers on top of the plunger went down. The whole thing exposed. Like, okay, we're done. I'm done. I just felt cursed <laughs> with with uh, with French presses. And then Emily got the arrow press. And now I'm like, okay, this is good. I, I think don't mind you, this. I think you're cursed with glass cookware in general because haven't you like shattered a glass baking dish before on the top of the oven? We're not going like, to talk about that. Like a few, like a month or two ago. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> that one was weird because the stovetop was cold. It was like, yeah, okay, it wasn't cold. It was warm. Was but there it was water on top? No, no, it was perfectly clean. And I just pulled. Yeah the baking tray out of the oven and set it onto the warm top, not the cold top, not the hot yeah. top, the warm top turned around. And like a minute later it exploded. Okay. It had not it hit. It wasn't in the oven and exploded. It wasn't on top for like, it just got there and got hit cold air or something exploded. It waited like a good minute or 30 seconds. Yeah. And then explode. And you're like, is everything okay? I'm like, we're fine. We're mm -hmm. fine. We're all fine. How are you? Mm hmm yeah, it was glass doesn't like me. Um, <laughs> that's why I like my cast iron and my stainless steel. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the uh, the the AeroPress is a good design. I just wish they had like a, maybe even a bigger model for me, like a yeah. tall or like at least a taller column for, for like make everything else can be the same size and the same system and everything else. Just make the plunger and the column a little taller so you can get a full cup. At the same time, I think it fits its niche quite well just for like a little small single or double serving sure i'm just talking about me though because i think if you make it any bigger it would just be better to get like an actual french press that has the carafe and mm -hmm. the plunger style from the top sort of thing because i think once you get any bigger you're like why why do i have a leader that i'm then i'm still trying to flip over <laughs> and it's just big plastic leader of coffee sort of well, thing. We can, so we make the plunger have like this one foot base <laughs> so it's really stable and then we have it flip over one thing i wanted to do is make a bushcraft french press make like a wooden shrink pot sort okay. of idea thing hollow out a piece of log or something yeah yeah and then somehow we can make like a basswood fiber filter or something like that I and dig then, it. I dig and it. And then plunge it down. I think it like if anything for the shenanigan value. It would be it, novel. It'd be novel as all. Be not, it. It's not going to be the best thing. You're not going to carry around with we'll, you. <laughs> we'll make a. We'll we'll carve it out, and it'll be like let's make it a three inch diameter interior bore, and then we'll make like a three inch wide piece of wood, and just with our awls drill holes through it, and that's the plunge. Yeah, exactly. And then put like you can put like a little piece of bandana or cloth or yeah, something yeah. as, as the a filter of it sort of thing so i think just for the novelty and being like the bushcraft mythbusters 
I think we should just once in a while make crazy inventions. I think this is a great idea. And we'll make videos out we'll of it. We'll make a video and put it on our Patreon. We'll put it on Patreon for our fans first there. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Love this. We should do this. We should just every month make up a crazy thing that nobody's made before. And we'll just title each one, this might kill us. Yep. And just this go. Might kill- it finally did it. R.I.P. Caleb. <laughs> and then you're just peeking out your head from behind a tree the whole time. Like hand Caleb, covering my mouth. You're giggling. in the shot. Kill, 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 kill. Go home, kill. Everyone's just crying. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, wait a second. There's, there's that's, just, that's Bigfoot or Caleb in the background. There's you just standing by my by my grave and Lavac. I hope I close my eyes. <laughs> You're my boy, Blue. So, so yeah, the death, the death press will be our first, first order of business. I love so, this yes. so much. Caleb doesn't like French presses. I love French presses. And so what do we have next? I'm looking at my list right here. Let me just look at mine real quick. I think what I had was uh, just straight up cowboy coffee. Yeah. So, like so the, the- to recap, we've done instant percolator pour over slash drip and french press so then the classic is cowboy coffee just straighten a pot water and coffee grinds yeah now there's 101 ways to do it our friend joe who was on the podcast back in march actually has a youtube video i think it was with woods monkey where he explains like how to make cowboy coffee the steve watts way steve watts was a wilderness skills instructor and uh ancestral skills aficionado down in North Carolina mm-hmm. who was really fascinated with like the cowboy life and the pioneer life. So yeah. the, the wood smoke kind of tradition of like almost like the reenactors who are dressing in traditional garb and going out in the, in the old style mm-hmm. and cowboy coffee was kind of the way for a lot of people who are crossing the continent at that time mm-hmm. <clears throat> because of its efficiency. You don't want to carry a lot. You want to bring like one pot and you can be able to cook your beans in it. You want to be able to make your stew in it, but you also want to make your coffee every morning in it. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is approximately uh, about two tablespoons per cup of, uh, of water. You're going to have two tablespoons of ground coffee. You throw it into the water and there's different ways of doing it. Joe's video is great. I actually really dig Morse Kohansky's way and Morse's way was because he was doing it for groups. He would have 30 to 50 students on a course. Yeah. He needed a big pot and his way was to do things efficient, do things as quickly as possible so we can get back to teaching. And it's what we've done on a few of our classes in the past. Uh, you got a big pot, sometimes two or three gallons. You bring the water to a boil. And as it comes to a boil, you throw your coffee grinds in and he would throw in an entire big can of Folgers. Like okay. a ma- like those big, massive, like Costco cans. Yeah. The whole thing. I don't know how that equivalents to like two tablespoons per cup. I, I, I've tried to do the math there. I'm pretty sure he was a little stronger. And his argument was you can always make strong coffee weaker. You can't make weak coffee stronger. Yeah. So if somebody finds the coffee too strong, add some water to it and they can move on. Mm-hmm. And he would then pull out his watch and he would not look at you. He would not talk to anybody. He would time exactly one minute and 30 seconds and then take it right off the fire in every way, shape, or form. It wouldn't be sitting that near the heat, <clears throat> be completely away. And the idea there that he had was the boiling will stir the beans in, but you don't want to have it on there for long enough to let the bitters really come out. You just want the aromatics. And about yeah. a minute and a half in, 
is when those bitters would start to swell up and start to come out of the bean or out of the grind mm -hmm. and infiltrate your water and make it way too bitter. Mm -hmm. And then he would either swing it and use centrifugal force to try and force the beans or the grind down to the bottom of the pot. But what he preferred to do is pour a liter of cold water, like the coldest water he could get in there and shock the system and basically break the surface tension <clears throat> and all the beans float to the bottom. Other people say, yeah. take a green peeled stick and stick it in there and don't stir it, just stick it into the middle. Other people say, sprinkle salt on the surface to break that surface tension. Moore's would just use thermal shock and get the coffee cold, uh, cool it down a bit and that would drop all the beans to the bottom. Uh, the cold water method is the one I've always heard and the yeah. one I've seen used on trips and everything. And it works. Mm -hmm. I've I've done the the green stick thing and like you take one sip of coffee and you got coffee grinds in your teeth. I think every method I found, even with the cold water, even if you let it settle for about five minutes, I'm still using my teeth as strainers. And then that's where that's where Morse's next step came in is you do not pour from the pot. You would have a ladle, and you go yeah. to the very middle of the pot, just like when you're getting your water out from a lake to then filter and stuff. You want to have it below the surface top. You want to have it above the bottom. And so yeah. you take that ladle and usually his ladle was just a dipper cup and you would just yeah. scoop from the very center and not disturb the bottom pour. And I can tell you like out of seven days of drinking coffee with that guy, I never got a single grind in my teeth. That makes a lot more sense because everyone I know goes through all the trouble and then they pour it and then they pour it and, and tilt shake all it all those up. coffee grinds. And yeah. So. So I've, I've, every cowboy coffee I've done in a small pot, like a billy can, yeah, your teeth are going to be your filter. Or I've done where I have like a, a piece of bandana or mosquito net, and I pour through that into my cup. And that's yeah. worked for cowboy coffee. But if I'm doing like a group, like if you and I are going to go and do a canoe build or something, we're going to do another class soon, which is right around the corner. We're doing live classes again. I'm excited. Um, we'll be doing the Morse Kohansky method of like big, big, like three or four gallon pot. Yeah. boil add coffee take it off after a minute and a half pour cold water in and then just ladle just dip mm -hmm. and ladle because it i never had coffee grinds in my teeth the whole time i did it his way mm -hmm. and i think that's like my favorite way to do coffee in the winter time especially when we've got a big group because you just got this big pot of coffee to, to warm you up all morning i swear i've seen someone do and it's probably the most unsafe method <coughs> i've ever seen but centrifugal force yeah i mentioned that Moore's would show that but he didn't like it I've seen people do that before. Oh my God. It's only a matter yeah. of time, especially with people all around you mm -hmm. that everyone's going to get third degree burns. Either that or you <laughs> clock somebody behind you that doesn't know you're doing it. The bailing wire on it just like falls Snaps. off and then you got a projectile of boiling water in it. So, so I was trying to demonstrate centrifugal force uh, with a, with cold water. I was just trying to show how centrifugal force with a bunch of kids in a, in a five gallon bucket, I had about a gallon of water mm -hmm. and I got it to the apex right above my head yeah. and the bale broke and the bucket landed on my head. And I was like ice bucket challenge from 2014. Those kids never let me live it down for the rest of that summer camp. That's very Looney Tunes. Yes. A situation is yes. bonk right on the head. You get the big goose egg. It wasn't even like that. It was like it came down like a like a like a bucket like a over my head. Yeah, yeah, like a hat. And I was just soaked. Just yeah. soaked through. And they never let me live it down for like three more weeks of summer camp. Mm -hmm. And so I've never trusted a cook pot. If a five-gallon bucket can't do it with yeah. cold water and it's only a gallon in a five-gallon bucket, 
I'm not trusting any pots bail. There's too many other methods to go carelessly yeah. with centrifugal force. It's a cool little 100%. party trick totally. if you know what you're doing and you know what you have. And if you have a sturdy <coughs> with a sturdy handle, then give it a try. Don't do it around kids. Do it with yourself and your buddies, and you'll only have yourselves to blame. I think that's the rule of every party trick I've ever come across, though. <laughs> like that's like the the whole like, oh, it's minus 25 out. Throw a pot of boiling water in the air. Yeah. And we've done it a couple of times and then saw a video of a guy doing it. And like the mist came back and scalded him because it hadn't fully like chilled yet. Yeah. And I was like, oh, or like you just picture that one guy throwing the bale of or the, the hot water and it just swings back on him and burns him. Yeah. And then you like every party trick, I think, should just be kept to like you and your drunk friends. Just yeah. keep it, sabering bottles. Who brings a freaking <laughs> sword or machete or like the ones that do with a kitchen knife and then break the edge? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Party tricks are left for parties. Don't bring it to the kids. So, one other like trick I had heard apparently the cowboy coffee and stuff that the guys back in the, they wouldn't wash their coffee pot. So, you they would apparently have that residual coffee building up. It's kind of seasoning the pot with Interesting. coffee. Interesting. So, <laughs> you'd get more of a coffee flavor. I'm not sure how sanitary that is. Not at all. <clears throat> or anything like that but yeah this one guy burly cowboy with a mustache on youtube said that they would do that and that's what he'd... i learned something else while researching for this that apparently according to john steinbeck that you put they put eggshells in the coffee to I've add heard body that, yeah i've heard that it also helps break the surface tent it's the same thing as when i was talking about like boiling maple syrup in a clay pot and the yeah. porosity causes it to break the surface tension. It doesn't let it boil over. I think that's the idea as well. With like you add your eggshell, your crushed eggshell to the coffee, it adds a little bit of flavor because it does. Like you roast eggshells, mm -hmm. there's kind of like a an almondy, not almond, like a hazelnutty smell in the air. Yeah. But also that por porosity of the calcium bicarbonate of the shell breaks the surface tension, helps the sh the grind actually sink. I think. I think that's like the science behind it. The only thing I had, I had read that is it just adds body and flavor to mm -hmm. it. So they'd add a shell or two. I don't even think they broke up the shell. I think they would just toss it in after they fried it or scrambled some eggs or something. <coughs> these are the same Tossing kind of these are the same kind of guys that are adding mosquitoes to their bannock dough and stuff. We're not going to refer to like the pioneers as like <laughs> smart people. They they. They didn't have the access to watching Iron Chef growing up that we did <laughs> and the luxuries of learning to cook in the modern day. They're like, we have flour, we have water, we have coffee, we have meat. And that is all. Maybe some salt. And a Maybe few potatoes. Some salt. Yeah. <laughs> What's this exotic thing? That's lettuce. <laughs> lettuce. What is broccoli? It's, it hasn't been genetically engineered yet. So just picture taking an AeroPress back into the 1600s or seven, even the 1800s. I think if anybody back in those days that spent time in Colorado went back to Colorado these days, everyone in their Patagonia sweater, <coughs> hiking the Donner Pass, all their North Face gear and stuff like that. There's walking by with a couple of hiking poles and and their kids <laughs> there's in there with their uh lindsey woolsey clothing just what meanwhile what is someone this? that hasn't bathed in two weeks is like what the hell <laughs> so yeah 
Yeah. So one now, more method. Yeah. What were you going to add? You mentioned something earlier, something about something from espresso goo. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. Okay. Okay. The one more I, method to kind of keep things more contained for cowboy sure. coffee. You can do it in a, like a tea bag, like a mesh sack. Yeah. You can put your coffee in there so you can steep it like it's a big tea bag mm -hmm. and do it that way. So it's nicely contained. It's already filtering itself. Let that sit, do the same thing as cowboy coffee. And then you just pull the bag out or just yeah. put it with the bag in there. So we, sh that's we should make some linen ones for our camping trips. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. I'm going to see if I can get some sewn up this week. Yeah. We will. We have to start competing with Peter. So. <laughs> We need to take it old school for a few trips here and there. Coming for you, uh, Woodland Escape. We're coming for you. <laughs> no, that probably wouldn't. That would excite Peter Kelly more than anyone, I think. I think so, be, Oh, Caleb and Ryan are going to try to take me on. Mr. I we, went to the Antarctic. We'd be trash talking and he'd be like, hell yes, let's do this. <laughs> I'll take you down, please. Yeah. And, and then they've also got submersible filters that are kind of like the basket style, like you're talking about the French press. So it just okay. rests on the top of your coffee <clears throat> mug. Okay. And just sits there and it has like a little, so they do the same thing for some teas as well. If you have a loose leaf tea or something, right. it's just like, it's like a K cup for your Keurig, mm -hmm. but it just rests on your mug and then you just put it in there and you just let it sit there and steep out. And then you just pull it up and out and it's good to go sort of thing. So interesting. That's another way of like a steeped method like cowboy coffee, but keeping everything contained within a filter. So in a bag or in a little cup filter thing. So, yeah. so now after I've talked about that very briefly, yes, there's the espresso gel. Okay, walk me through this. I found about this about like an hour and a half, two hours ago when looking up some camp coffees. Okay. So it's like, you know how like Gatorade and all those companies have those energy gels? Like the come, electrolyte gels? Yeah, they come in a little packet that yeah. you rip off the top and then you just eat the goo. Right. So it's for like marathon runners and all that kind of stuff who are just cyclists doing the Tour de France right now. They're doing this with coffee? They have a coffee one too. It's, I think, what's the company's name? It was like goo energy, GU energy. So yeah, they it's called the espresso gel. So it looks exactly like all those other energy gels and stuff. So I guess it's like the same exact idea. It's it's energy gel. It's gonna give you a little pump up. This is a bad idea for me to know this. It takes the that whole enjoyment and meditative experience out of it. I, yeah. I don't think it would get the same because well, my, my the other one I love is like chocolate covered coffee beans. I think those yeah, are really nicely yeah. handheld to take camping if you don't want to take all the gear to make coffee. Mm -hmm, then a mm -hmm. good substitute is a little chocolate covered milk chocolate, dark chocolate, whatever your poison is. And then they're like, take this packet rip the cut the top off and suck out the goo yeah mm, hot fresh no it's gonna be like this cold room temperature toothpaste sort of thing i am that tastes like that maybe might <laughs> taste like coffee tell you what tell you what we're gonna extend an olive branch if the people who make this stuff are listening 
Yeah. Send us 10. We'll take five of them each and then we'll do the next podcast and see how we feel. Yes. We'll see. We'll, we'll review your coffee paste. I don't think I crave coffee enough to use that as a replacement because it wouldn't give me the same satisfaction. Like, That's like just taking caffeine pills. I could just take caffeine pills. Exactly. That's the thing. Like if you if you're just looking for a hit of energy, I don't think it would be an enjoyable taste experience. <coughs> no. Coffee gel. Now, if they had coffee gel with ephedra in it, <laughs> just stacking, just stacking right there and just getting me jittery like a trucker going on 18 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'll just chop all my firewood in like 30 seconds. So I felt like that one was just a fun one to add in, like the different things. I want to play with it now. A cup. Yeah. I want to at least try and see if it tastes good. If it doesn't taste good, then there's no point at all. Yeah. But if it's just like, if it tastes like coffee, like I can get behind it as like, okay, they need it now. We don't have time to like, you're up on a rock face. You don't have firewood or any fuel left. It doesn't hurt. You could even like potentially like try. like squeeze it into your water bottle, shake it up, and pretend it's a like cold brew or something. I guess maybe you could try like, that. That's what I'm saying. Like send ten, we'll we'll experiment with them. <laughs> we'll we'll do that with the next. If we don't get it by uh, if we don't get it by August from you uh, from y'all, if you haven't listened to us, even though you don't know we're like the biggest podcast out there, um, we'll buy it with our Patreon. Maybe we'll do a Patreon review thing. I, I'd just be worried if it tastes like synthetic or something. If it's not like a true brewed coffee mm-hmm. kind of taste to it, it tastes like, oh, someone in a lab tried to decipher what coffee tastes like. <laughs> or it's like one of those things like someone thought about coffee while making this and it tastes like that sort of thing. It touched a coffee bean. Have Have you seen the, the TikTok of the guy that does the mixology with, with Malort? Well, like I know people who've made that joke forever, and that was the first time I'd seen someone do like a little stand-up routine out of yeah. it. He where he he tests like I'm gonna make a Manhattan, but with Malort. I'm gonna make uh, an old-fashioned, but with Malort. And like every single one of them, he just like stares at the camera, and you just see like the soul leave his body. As like I yeah. kind of hope we can make those with these gels for our for our Patreon. And I saw someone do another TikTok where they made that same joke about like lacroix oh yeah yeah or like flavored bubbly water and stuff like that there's like a lime rubbed against the water once yeah you just kind of fan a lemon again (laughs) towards it's like oh that just that little taste little hint so yeah i'm i'm down to go full We'll experiment. Like, we'll test it. Yeah, lab rat with this to try it out and give it a try. But like, there's so many simpler ways because like the best coffee I've ever had in my life was in the jungles of Costa Rica with like a coat hanger and some nylon stocking. It was like someone took, went robbed a bank, took the pantyhose they had just used over their face, and then rat turned a coat hanger into a loop and then wrapped it around it. And it's like a hanging sock. So it was like a drip filter that was makeshift at this beautiful camp down in Costa Rica along the Pacuari river. And then they just use that as a drip filter over knee 
over top of a craft and then it was delicious because it was like fresh coffee grown there it was the pure stuff it was not cut with baby powder it was not (laughs) no baby laxatives were in this coffee from south america (laughs) central america sorry so this was the purest of the pure uncut yeah it melts at a very high temperature so yeah it was the best and it was like i think two for like a little suggestion of coffee types was i think this was 1820 the brand 1820 from costa rica i think they also come from nicaragua as well Mm -hmm. but like there was the 1820 plantations all over while we were traveling through costa rica and everything and that's when we got to the grocery store after that experience the guide was like this is the coffee i use because everyone was complimenting the coffee and how amazing it was i think it was like fresh ground and everything but you could like buy the pre-ground bags of it and everyone bought like as much coffee as you're allowed to bring home with you sort of thing right so that's just a little tip other than if you want something a little better than Folgers or Nabob or something Mm -hmm. like that happening again yep it is oh you're back yeah so yeah 1820 coffee if you're looking for something a little more off the cuff then a nabob or a folgers or something Nescafe like that or something. so and like i was saying a second ago that right now i've been drinking a nice decaf president's choice but it's definitely not ryan's choice for <laughs> typical coffee i didn't have time to get the fresh <laughs> press all out and yeah, put my yeah. 1820 in there a reserve special especial. i am butchering spanish right now <laughs> so no comment i can't i can't speak english properly so (laughs) you're doing fine so one more one more device uh, i was going to talk about there's apparently a hand presso so just like hand presso yeah it's like just a handheld espresso thing that i think you like pump through like a bike pump sort of thing so it's like you put it over top and it looks like one of those old like fumigator pump thing yeah 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 they got with the old like oil can looking thing of insecticide so it kind of looks like it was just something i came across in an article when i was trying to figure out some more little devices and see if someone had something more outside the box than the typical percolator cowboy coffee all that kind of stuff so yeah apparently there's little handheld espresso makers that you can have for the bush if you are a bougie influencer and you need your fanciest espresso so me macchiato and all that <laughs> kind of stuff so yeah that was it's another little thing <coughs> and they also make little handheld coffee grinders as well mm-hmm. I think the one here, there's the Porlex Mini. I think maybe the article I was reading had a sponsorship. Mm. So if Porlex wants to sponsor us as well, it's just, again, one of those other little pepper mill things like you get see at a restaurant where the guy comes over, pepper. They just do that, but for it's like coffee, just put a handful of beans in there. Coffee? <laughs> coffee? Coffee? 
Put it on my spaghetti, please, right there, right over. <laughs> Just gonna running around the restaurant within seconds, like a little angry toddler. That's how I always am. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, little recap. Yeah, we got percolators, we got French presses, we've got pour over and drip filters, we got tea bag methods, we've got cowboys and coffee. We've got handheld espresso machines. So <laughs> I was hoping you'd be like walking cowboys and coffee. It's crazy. <laughs> it's all the seas. It's beautiful. My coffee always needs more cowbell. <laughs> Especially cowboy coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Ode to cafe. Yeah. We'd love it. We can't live without it. We've got, a, we've got a little bit more to talk about outside of the vessels and, and uh, injection methods and everything else like that. We've, first off, Ryan mentioned 1820. The one I'll mention is Death Wish. Um, Death Wish is considered one of the highest rates of caffeine of any coffee bean out there. I don't know what their ethical sourcing is. I don't know any of that kind of stuff. All I know is when I've drank Death Wish, I can like hear color. <laughs> Like it is potent stuff. And one of my favorite musicians, uh, Zach Wilde from the Black Label Society, he used to be back in the old days with Ozzy Osbourne. Um, he put out his own variety called Valhalla Java, and I drank that for years. Really hard to get in Canada. Basically, I would go down and pick it up when I was whenever I was in the States and bring it back with me. Um, if hey, if Death Wish, you want to sponsor us, like this is the episode where we're just throwing sponsorship pitches to everybody. If anyone wants to <laughs> If any of those mentioned companies would like the sponsors, if you have a competing coffee company and exactly. you like to stick it to these other coffee companies. If if you, if you own a company called Life Love Coffee and you want to get rid of Death Wish, uh, just give us a shout and we'll we'll talk about it. If you make any of these vessels like percolators or French presses and anything like that, you need testers. Or if you want to make a French press out of a log like we do, then give me a shout if you're if you're aeropress's <clears throat> biggest co competition air push we'll take you like let's let's do this i am caleb's secretary now apparently what Every, the shit everyone contacts me to get in touch with caleb now i don't know how. yeah even and, though they drop by his house to drop things out they're, oh. they're texting me and i'm saying thanks and then i see a bag outside and i grab it and then ryan's like so so-and-so dropped off some stuff to your house. And they wanted you to grab it. I'm like, I've already talked to them. Why, <laughs> why are they telling you? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, do they think you're my wife or my spouse at this point? They just know I'm the right-hand man. And they just don't know how far the responsibilities <laughs> extend. Like, they're not wrong. You are the right-hand man of Canadian bushcraft. And you are, like, my dude. So it, it makes sense. But it's also, like, it's kind of weird. That they're going like this is like not the first time many people go to you like hey can you get a hold of caleb about this and you'll be like sure i'll do exactly what you did and i will contact him and look it worked yeah sometimes it's coming from a good place and other totally. times it's just unnecessary or just confusing i wouldn't say necessarily unnecessary yeah. but like it's confusing <laughs> why uh, why yeah. you're gonna pass a sticky note to me and then i'm gonna pass that sticky note to caleb I am just a glorified middleman right now. I don't want to those... like if you want to message me and you want to talk, you need some advice or something like that. I've been, I love when people contact me. It happens <laughs> totally. all the time. 
fans have started sending me memes for some reason they they love my meme game so they send me memes but keep it going i love it i have fun with it oh ryan ryan loves the the like we both love communicating with people who tune into the show i i feel weird calling you fans i don't know why because i think the term we're supposed to use but I just feels like a weird, like almost like I'm a narcissist, assuming these people are fans. I listen to your podcast. They never said they liked it. We'll call like, them, you know what I mean? We'll call them podcast associates. Cool. Associates. I like that. It seems very business-like. It seems very professional. It also sounds kind of like we're doing backdoor deals and stuff. Like we're doing something <laughs> slightly, slightly criminal. Yeah. I did with my associates. We'll exactly. get a deal going through and everything. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, the, if, if any of those companies want to be associates, contact us and we'll be associates we'll, we'll go full mob with you and i think we should make like a youtube video or something to go full in depth with all the coffee craziness yeah, yeah. and then we when we get around to our ideas like hammock fest and everything we can run a little coffee workshop or something i want to make a way to brew coffee while i'm in my hammock i want to make myself a little table that can set up right beside me with a with a little cook stove <laughs> and my percolator or whatever and i can just be chilling in my in my hammock stirring my coffee have you heard about espresso gel (laughs) it's the hottest new craze the goo gel you just open up a packet squeeze (laughs) that into your face hole so into my face hole yes it is a technical term nature's forbidden porridge now coming nature's forbidden porridge now in gel form (laughs) Mm, berries Mm, cocoa well, speaking of berries, and that was the next thing we were going to talk about, like some additions to your coffee that you can actually do to enjoy it and kind of make it more of like a seasonal treat as the year goes. Um, as we can, uh, like as my new year is the sugar bushes and the schnabic, I think that's like the, where we can start off. Ryan's had it with me every single day of sugar bush. We'll yeah. fill a pot with like double boiled sap where you take like a gallon of sap boiled down to half a gallon. So it's sweeter. And then we just throw it into our percolator or into a billy can and throw some coffee in there with it. And it's pre-sweetened, but it's like, it's a different kind of sweetened. It doesn't, it's not hit you in the face. You feel like you're having an insulin spike. Yeah. It's just this nice, smooth, smooth coffee. It's got electrolytes. It's what plants crave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just such a good one to have in the sugar bush in the early spring and then this time of year, you can take wild berries. Like how, like the, yesterday I had blueberry coffee where I crushed up a bunch of blueberries, threw them into the cage or the, it's the cage, right? That's the term for the percolator, like container. I think it's just like a call the cage. Basket. Basket. Okay. Whatever it is. I threw it in there, threw some coffee in and brewed it. And it was divine. Like there's, mm-hmm. I could call it delicious. I could call it all that kind of stuff. I had a spiritual experience with that wild bear, like wild blueberry coffee. Mm-hmm. And so you got raspberries out there right now. There's blueberries coming out right now. There's more wild berries as the season goes. As long as you can prove 100% that they are edible and safe to consume, try them with your coffee. Crush them up, put them in with your coffee, brew them with your coffee, and you have a natural sweetness in there. But it's also like the different levels of flavor. Um well, even going back to maple, I like I if I'm not at Timmy's or Mick Cafe or any yep. of those, I'll use maple syrup 100% in my coffee. And that's I I haven't used white sugar in my coffee for years now at mm. home sort of thing. So that's always been my go to. 
and it all happened by accident. One time I was on a winter trip and there was no white sugar or anything left, but there was a bottle of pure maple syrup in the fridge. So, okay, take yep. this. And it was a revelation. It was full bodied to the oh, next yeah. level. Hell yeah. Yeah. And this is not just because we're in Canada and call Canadian bushcraft. This is not just us trying to live into a stereotype, I swear. This we're is hundred percent right. me trying to live into a stereotype. We're just right. That's like that's we the thing. Are, it's it's not a stereotype. We're just right. It is it is true. It is factual. It is real. We are a bunch of syrup suckers. So it's now another addition that people often do, and I actually made a post on our Instagram back in I think April about this. And that is those ways to either extend your coffee for longer or to cut back on how much caffeine you're taking, but you still want to enjoy a full cup of coffee. Uh, you can use dandelion root or chicory root. And if you look at things like Cafe du Monde, it is half and half coffee and, and chicory root. Roast the cow. So what you do is you're going to um, dehydrate your, your roots. These are chicory root or dandelion roots. Wash them thoroughly. Snip off any greens roast them really well or dehydrate them first and then roast. That's what I prefer to do. Uh, I dehydrate them right down until they're brittle. And then you just roast them under, you know, the broiler in your oven, put them over a fire in a pan until they go dark, dark, almost black. And then you're going to grind it just like you grind coffee. And you're going to add that half and half to your coffee. A, it extends your, co your uh, coffee for longer. So if you, your trip goes a little longer than you're expecting, it's not that big of a deal. If you're at home and you're worried about how much food prices are going up, you can extend your coffee, that big, big Costco can of coffee that you got, you can extend it longer by adding uh, half a tablespoon of coffee and half a tablespoon of dandelion or chicory root. Tastes really nice and it doesn't taste off at all. It actually really accentuates and really helps kind of like bring out the flavors of the coffee that I think is really, really nice. So that's a very classic one. Again, Cafe Du Monde down in Louisiana does that kind of stuff with their coffee. It's really, really common. I don't think I have to talk much more on that. The last one I'm going to bring up for me that I've done a lot of with my coffee, especially lately, is uh, nuts. Everybody has hazelnut coffee at some point or another. They get like that uh, coffee, uh, coffee mate stuff that's got hazelnuts in it and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Everybody knows that. The one I've been doing lately is Palki Hikora, which is an old uh, Nishnabek drink, which is you take shag bark hickory nuts, crush them, boil the snot out of them for like an hour and a half, and then the oils come out, the fats come out. And if you like your keto coffees or your bullet coffees or whatever they're called, uh, this is very similar where I'll take like half and half coffee and like this basically nut soup or nut broth, or I guess you could call it nut milk, though it's not as refined as nut milk. Uh, um, Caleb, be careful with where you're going with this. I know that walnuts don't have teats, so we can't milk them, Ryan, for the last time. I know. Okay? Oh, no. I'm thinking of completely something different when you're mentioning nut milk. Oh, so. I know. That's why I'm trying to take us the other direction. <laughs> we have people listening that have kids. It's all euphemisms, so... Take it as you will. They'll understand when they're old. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the hickory nut, walnut, uh, English or American black walnut, whichever you got. Uh, acorns even. There's people that make acorn coffee. I don't really like acorn coffee. It doesn't, it tastes too bitter to me. I love eating acorn. Like you've seen me eat acorn. It's acorn bread, acorn soup, all that kind of stuff is great. 
I don't like it with my coffee. I feel like it brings the bitters out too much. I'm not sure if the tannin bonds to something in the coffee and brings it out, but I just don't like it. But mm. hickory nut, walnut, uh, if you don't have anything else to try out, grab some pecans from the bulk barn store or the bulk food store, crush those up. They are a member of the hickory family. So you can get a very good idea of what a hickory palka hickora would taste like mixed with your coffee. And of course, like wild forage, some beaked hazelnuts this coming some, uh, September. Go out and harvest some, dry them, cure them, guard them from chipmunks. They will take them from you fast uh, and then just roast them and crush them and add them in with your coffee as you brew it. You're getting that fat that you're expecting to get from your milk or creamer. You're getting some sweetness. You're getting some more full body aromas and such from the roasted nut. It's really, really good that way. I'm a big fan of it every day for like the last week, actually more than a week now. I've been, we've got like this two liter bottle of Palke Hikori in the fridge that I've just been topping up my coffee with every single morning and I love it. Or even if you get just a really good quality coffee, fresh ground, mm -hmm. good source, everything. It tastes delicious. Black. <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever drank my coffee black was mm -hmm. in Costa Rica. That is like, okay, now I understand like before, like when I was younger, it was always double doubles the yeah. Canadian classic double double mm -hmm. and now that tastes even too sweet and then i went down to costa rica i think it leads back to again my my dad and my grandparents drinking instant black coffee. instant coffee my my grandma still to this day drinks black instant coffee and it tastes disgusting so that's wrong i was in the jungle through that nylon stocking with a coat hanger again and just drank it black and i was like okay this is what coffee aficionados are talking about sort of thing so if you get a really coffee you don't need anything because that's one of the downsides of like if you drink double doubles you it's going to be hard bringing that cream on a trip and creamer tastes nothing like actual cream yeah, it's just a whitener yeah it it tastes like what you would think when you say whitener yeah <laughs> like it just makes your coffee a different color it just eh, it, it was touched by it was a cow was nearby while this coffee was made they were thinking of that. a cow yeah so if you get a really good coffee that's where the coffee taste will shine and if you don't have your cream on hand that's will be the most enjoyable experience so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it all comes down like, what do you like and how can you replicate that in the woods? And if not, what's your favorite way to make coffee in the woods? And find that out, figure that out. This is kind of like that explorative part of bushcraft and camping of like, you can completely dislike coffee or you can lean into it and see, can I make this better? Can I make this work? That's even at home, I just go full mad scientist mode with my cooking, with my coffee making. Mm -hmm everything I can think of that I want to do on trip, I kind of do a test run of it at home first. If I have a one pot meal, if I have a dehydrated meal, I want to try or something, I'll give it a try at home first because nothing sucks more than being out in the woods, relying on one thing, putting your eggs all in one basket mm -hmm. and then it not working out. And then the rest of the trip, you're like, Oh, <laughs> I wish I had done it a different way or something like that. So go free get creative in the kitchen at home get creative in your backyard trying these things out if you want to go over an open fire or something so do it 
test it, try it. And if you've got some ideas and other things you want to add, uh, if you're on Patreon, message us on Patreon. But if you just want to contact us and be like, hey, this is what I like in my coffee. Or this is what I try in my coffee. And me and Ryan can try that stuff out ourselves. You if, you want to con- oh. if you want to contact me and ask, hey, I want to know what Caleb thinks, contact <laughs> me and do that. So, <laughs> Or you could just contact us directly at Canadian Bushcraft Podcast at gmail.com or go over to our Instagram and click on our uh, DMs and slide into our DMs. Stop sliding into Ryan's to get a hold of me because I still respond to messages. No, I need more friends. So please <laughs> contact me. I'm sorry if I made fun of you and discouraged you to contact me, but drop me a line. Let me know. He's lonely. I'll interview Caleb for you. You'll interview me like Chris Farley interview people, right, though? <laughs> I'm not going to steal your style. That's that's the style that's, you want to do. That's my favorite way. That to was cool, people. yeah? Yeah, that was, I like that. Remember that time when you nearly died in the Kalahari? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> like that. That kind of shit is my kind of favorite yeah. stuff to interview. I want to, every time we interview somebody, I want to do it that way. And every time I'm like, oh, I don't think they'll go for it. And then I'll be shooting the breeze with them afterwards. Like, oh, I would have totally gone with them. Like, oh, I should just like do it next time. As like a as like a dry run and see how the episode goes. We can do a speed run at the end of an interview with Bruce Walski. Yeah, yeah, and do it there. So like, I'm gonna ask you ten quick questions, and then go off into that mode. And that's when we bring up the hot sauce. They have to drink a cup of hot sauce and then answer the ten questions as fast as they can. Yeah, yeah. And then Which Bruce will to- never Bruce will never talk to us again. We need to do our hot ones soon. I've had hot sauce staring me in the face that I made last year. I know. Stuff I wanted to make you cry with. <coughs> we need to sit down and do that. We're going to do that for Patreon. Uh, for those of you that are that want to see Ryan and I suffer while we answer bushcraft questions, we are lining up. Originally, it was going to be for our anniversary party, but we never got around to doing the anniversary party. Um, so maybe we'll do it this September when everything's nice and fresh and ripe and all that. Uh, we want to do a live show on Patreon that'll be recorded and put up on YouTube later for other people to watch where we ask each other difficult bushcraft questions like Q and a style that our patrons send us, or you send us kind of thing if you're on Patreon, um, while we eat progressively hotter and hotter things from hotter and hotter hot sauces that Ryan and I have been making over the last year or so. And man, is it going to suck? Cause I have seen the diabolicalness that is rye. <laughs> and I know he's making me something that's going to be much worse than what I'm making him, which means I have to get more Armageddon chilies just to make sure I can make you suffer first. Well, I'm, I'm only growing two types of peppers this year. True, so true. I still have all my stuff from last year though. That that's can, what scares me. I sealed it up. It's been marinating away in itself. I am terrified. Aging, so I'm, I'm sweating hearing it. Like I can see the, the sweat beating on my forehead just hearing you describe this. Especially since I seem to be doing something right with my cooking mm-hmm. because, or not cooking, but my growing, because even my banana peppers, which were supposed to be more on the sweet side, they were they, they're more at a jalapeno yeah. level. And then every pepper from there was a step up from what it should have been sort of mm-hmm. thing. So my habaneros were the ones that like kicked me in the back of the throat. I didn't grow any like sewer. I'm not growing 
Carolina Reapers or Armageddon's or anything like that. I'm Trinidad still scared. Scorpions. I'm so. still scared. I'm still scared. I can see you being that guy like, this is just habaneros. And then an entire liter of capsaicin extract. Ah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just a can of bear spray that I got to spray <laughs> in the face with. Surprise. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, anything else to, to add on to coffee before we jump off this uh, this crazy train? I think that's it. If anyone still has any questions, like you said before, give us a shout. If we have anything we missed, then yeah, I would love to know for future lessons and everything like yeah. that. Or some so. tips and tricks you got or something that you mm -hmm. saw that we should check out. Or maybe you want to make us a shrink pot French press. Yeah, because especially if we like, I want to do a video to kind of recap all this in a very kind of concise yeah. video style where you see what we mean. We'll brew a bunch of coffee and mm -hmm. show you everything because I'm myself I'm a very visual learner. Totally. It kind of flies by my head sometimes when I just hear of it mm -hmm. rather than actually see it done. So, yeah, if you have any suggestions, totally. then email us at Canadian Bushcraft Podcast at gmail.com yeah and beyond that we want to thank all of you for tuning in we want to thank all of our potential sponsors for letting us say their names on the show today um and we also want to thank our patrons on patreon so that's gonna be our next little clip for you so stay tuned and that brings us to the end of our episode i want to thank all of our amazing listeners all of you amazing people who keep this going who keep up every single episode and watch us tune in enjoy the show thank you so much but especially we got to give a big shout out to our patrons over at patreon our supporters who keep the lights on here at the podcast keep the power going make sure that we can buy cable for both tracker and sushi because there's two dogs now dear lord help me and there's an army of ducks and geese and who knows the, the kid wants pigeons now so who knows where it's going to go next eventually i'm going to be completely surrounded and if i don't have food for them i'm on the menu so for all you amazing supporters at patreon people like renee martin chris charlotte paul nikki you amazing people who keep us moving forward and of course to all of you who are wondering hey should i even even check out patreon go to patreon.com slash canadian bushcraft go on over there check it out you can be supporting us for as little as a dollar fifty a month that's less than a cup of joe we just spent this entire episode talking about coffee and here we are talking about coffee again it just never ends but go on over take a look and you'll see that we have a lot of kickbacks going back to you articles that cannot be found anywhere else on the internet videos specifically filmed for you not for our tiktok not for our youtube channel not for our instagram for you as well as depending on what tier you're on in person and online classes so check it all over at patreon.com slash canadian bushcraft and become a supporter today 